Um, before I get started, I wanted to say the secretary is back. Uh, sis is back in the back. Where is she at? There she is back there. Yes. Uh, so we were just glad this is her first Sunday back. And she's had both knees, not just one, but total knee replacements, both knees. And so she is literally the bionic woman back there. She will be signing autographs in the back. And if you need anything lifted or moved, her legs are steel. She can probably do that. But uh, anyway, we talked last week about seeing it. We talked about God getting us a picture. And and when we saw the picture, we we referred back to Gideon and how Gideon kind of needed that picture. And once he had the picture, he was able to go forward. Today, I want to talk about saying it. And I'm going to try to get it all together in, in this morning and seizing it. We want to, last week we saw it, see it, say it, seize it. So we saw it last week. Hopefully you've been saying, God, give me a picture. This week we're going to talk about saying it and seizing it, putting it all together. And, uh, you know, it would do us good, I think, if, if we'd ever, you ever heard the phrase, if we could only be a, I'd like to be a fly on the wall. You know, where you could be somewhere and just hear, you know, even like what the enemy is saying. And I think you'd be very surprised Sometimes we worry about a lot of things and we think, oh man, they're just trash talking. And maybe they are. But I got, to, I got some news for you today. I bet the enemy is more worried about you. And if you could be a fly on the wall to find out what he's saying, oh my goodness, what's going, you know, that kind of, we've got them worried because we serve a mighty God. Put your hand up and say, yes, God. All right. So this is where we're at. If you have your Bible, uh, Judges chapter 7, 16 through 22, we're going to read that. And at the end, rather than say the names where they scattered to, I'm just going to tell you they went to those places. Unless you want to really hear me try to say those names. But anyway, some of you are already like, what are they? I'm going to skim down there. Anyway, then he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet into every man's hand. Empty pitchers and torches inside those pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, and or when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord, end of Gideon. So Gideon and the, and the hundred uh, men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. Then they blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies uh, blew the trumpets that were in their hands. Uh, I got I to gotta find my place here. Blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers. There we are. And they held the torches in their left hand, the trumpets in their right hand for blowing, and they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Every man stood in the place all around the camp. The whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled to those places. Just thought I'd, I could read those, but I'm not sure I'd say those right. So victory is described in Webster as this, overcoming of an enemy or an antagonist. Anybody ever been antagonized? Anybody ever have an enemy? This is the way Webster describes it, overcoming that. And so here's our first point for this morning. God believes in you. God believes in you. With 300 men, Gideon experienced one of the most astonishing victories in the Bible. Now, I'm just saying, God had his way of taking an underdog. Isn't that what God does so many times? He takes the underdog, and he, he's outnumbered, he's outmaneuvered, he's out whatever, outsmarted, what, and God will make that situation and turn it completely around. I'm saying today that God can work a miracle in the midst of your madness. In the midst of your mess, God can still make a miracle happen. Whether it be, you know, parting of the Red Sea, there's the Egyptians are right at our backside. How are we going to get out of here? God can make a miracle in the midst of your mess or in the midst of your madness. Fifteen more years for Hezekiah, God granted that. 
cleansing of the leper, dip this many times, or those ten, go show yourself to the priest. The woman with the issue of blood, mud balls in the eyes, freeing of a demonized man, killing of a giant with a stone right between the headlights. God can do something that nobody else can do. He's proven that he's bigger, he's stronger, he's greater than anything that you may face. He can do anything if you'll give him the chance just to say, God, you are my God. Help me through this. Somebody just give him a big praise. Put your hand up in the air and just say, thank you, God. He deserves your praise today. Judges 7 is a chapter about victory, and the number 7 is the number of God. It's the number of perfection, the number of completion. The number 6 is the number of man. The chapter in 6 is about a battle. So here's point number 2. Before you can have a victory, there's got to be a battle. There must be a battle. We can't shout about the victory if we pout about the battle. That's why victory is so sweet. Do you, I mean, how many understand that? If you're, you know, if you don't recognize that, that's like sometimes with your kids, they don't, if they, if they don't earn something, it's amazing when my kids have their own money, they're very frugal. When they're using my money, they want to live like the rich and the famous. But when they've learned the value of a dollar and they know like, well, well that didn't come so easy. I mean, Mallory's very frugal with her money. She knows when she spends, she knows. And if she blesses you, she's, she's thought about it. She didn't just go, well, whatever. You know, and there are some people that will just, I had buddies that I worked with that they would just take their money and it, it'd be gone before it ever even reached wherever it needed to go. They, they put value on, on uh, their integrity, on what, what is what and, and victory. If we don't understand what it means to, to win the battle, then it's no big deal. If your children are handed everything and they don't understand what it means to stand for something or to stand up to something or to do what's right, then they don't understand the value of victory. I, you know, I, I am all for sports. I love sports. I love competition. I love that. And, I, and I'm, I'm not against organizations that promote good things. And I think there's organizations in town that are good and they promote healthy sportsmanship and all that. But I want to say this. In life, you win and you lose. If we never keep score, I got some issue somewhat with that because I think our kids need to learn how to gracefully say, as long as I did my best, I'm okay with that. Does that make sense to you? I think we need to understand that there's going to be times where somebody might do something and God might do something with them and that's okay. It doesn't mean he's not going to do anything with you, but we need to be able to go, you know what, I'm good with that. We need to be happy about somebody else having a victory. I'll just leave that where it is. So we can't shout about what God's adding to us on the mountaintop if we cuss about what we lost in the valley. You can't have a victory without a battle. Judges 6.1, it says, The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. God did it. He allowed them to get into captivity like that. He allowed that to happen because they didn't want to serve him. They did evil in this sight. Listen to what I'm saying. There's negative side effects to stupid decisions. Now, I can say I have the T-shirt and the poster for this, but I'm just telling you, this wasn't so easy for me to write, so listen to me. There are negative side effects for stupid decisions. Consequences doesn't mean you're not forgiven. Forgiveness doesn't mean there won't be consequences for your stupid decisions. Does that make sense? So the enemy will show you no mercy. The enemy doesn't care. The enemy will get you and get you to do something or, or whatever, and then he'll smack you when you do it. He'll tell you you've got to do it. 
And it'll be great if you do it, but then he'll tell you you're an idiot once you do it. He'll get you at both ends. He will show you no mercy. So our third point for this morning is this. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In Judges 6, it tells what happened. It was harvest time. Turn to your neighbor and say it was harvest time. So when it was harvest time, they had sown, and the enemy, that's when he came. Listen to me. You need to hear me really clearly. Because once you believed and you are putting the principles that we're teaching from the word into place, that's when the enemy comes. He comes once you've gotten the word and you've sown it, and now you're believing for God to do what God has said he's going to do. That's when he comes. He comes in the meantime. And he starts working. Remember the realm that he works. He starts telling, you know, this isn't working. You can, if it was working, it had already have worked. Blah, 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 blah. He's going to tell you all kinds of lies. The Bible says the enemy came with tents, and they said, we're going to stay a while. You're going to let the enemy camp out on your campground? I'm just saying. He's going to come and stay as long as you let him. He's going to stay like the guy that never goes home. You know, we had a friend... That I loved him. He'd come over, and it'd get to be real. Like Kim and I were, I don't even know if we had Mal then. We might have had Mal then. We had Mal then. And he just never would go home. You wanted to say, I need to go to bed so you can go home. <laughs> and I loved him. I loved him. But, I mean, there was something. He was just drawn to us, and we appreciate that. But after a while, I mean, you're trying to talk to him, but you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, Okay. There's got to be a time. The enemy will come. Now, this guy wasn't the enemy, so don't get me wrong. He was a good guy. But I'm just saying, as long as you let the enemy camp out, he'll camp out there. And he won't clean up his campsite. He don't care. So they came with tents, and they said they're going to stay a while. They came to destroy the land. The enemy wants to discourage you, and he wants to do it at your time of harvest. You know why? Because if he can mess with you, you can't receive. When harvest comes, it might come. You might miss it because you're too upset. You're too preoccupied. You're too consumed with the process. Maybe of fighting off whatever at the campsite or whatever's going on. He wants to stop your harvest. But in Revelation, this is what it says. Just, you know, just let me just say, if you're running through a lot of trouble right now, I'm just telling you because it's time for harvest. Harvest is coming and the enemy wants to stop it. In Revelation, it says this. The Bible says that when Satan saw his time was short, he released all he had against us. You see, it's the Jesus in you. He doesn't like the Jesus in you. We are made in the image of God. He wants to stop your harvest. But here's the news. He cannot stop it. You got to hear what I'm saying. He wants to stop your harvest, but the enemy cannot stop it. What he can do is he can stop you if you let him. He can't stop what God is doing. But he can stop you from enjoying your harvest or stop you from receiving your harvest if you'll let him. He wants you to stop praying. He wants you to stop believing. He wants you to stop praising. He wants you to stop giving. He wants you to stop confessing the word. He wants you to stop because he can't stop what's going on. He can't stop God from doing what God wants to do. So he can try to stop you. The Bible says the Israelites, they were so afraid of the enemy, they hid in caves. They were afraid of the Midianites. They, they, They hid in caves. They just cowered in caves. If you look up the word Midianite, They were descendants of Abraham, and the word Midian in Hebrew means, are you ready? 
strife. That's what it means. Strife. They were held hostage by strife, discord, fighting at harvest time. My friends, I'm telling you, God is doing a harvest in this church. He's doing things. People are getting saved every week. And he wants the body, not just, I'm not talking about members of any church. I'm talking about the body of Christ. He wants to get them in strife and get them all upset. Wants to get them all messed up so that they cannot receive what God is doing. He sees it coming. He can't stop it. But he can try to stop you. Because, now remember this. Remember what I said before weeks and weeks ago. And God has all power. How many believe that? God has all power. But he doesn't have the authority. He gave it to you. Man. That means I can stop the enemy by and through the power of God. That's what that means. That means I have the authority now to allow whatever to camp on my campground. Or the authority to say, Get your tent and get out. I know this. There are people in here that are just like, you don't even get it, Brett. You don't even get it. I'm telling you, all hell's breaking loose. I'm telling you, your harvest is almost here. When it just seems like, let me just put it this way. If it's bad, it's about to get good. If it's just like, oh, I can't take anymore. Well, get ready because it's about to get good. Now, people are like, I've heard that, I've heard that, I've heard that. Well, listen. I'm going to grab onto what God is saying. I'm telling you, just as sure as you're hearing my voice, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the word says. Do you want to let him? Then you're going to have to put up the block and say, "Uh uh-uh, uh-uh, because my harvest is coming. I'm going to hang on to it. You are so close. It's about to get good. Romans 8, 28 says, all things, turn to your neighbor and say, all All things work together for good for them that love God and are called according to his purpose. All things, not some things, not part of the things, every other thing, all things. Here's point number four. Take it to God. Judges 6, 6 says, Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. We need to know this. It matters who hears your cry. It matters who hears what you say. It's important. I've got moms in this room, and moms know. Now, you're, as a mother, or even dads know, maybe even uncles, okay? Grandparents, we all know. If your kid cries, my wife could tell, I'd be like, they're crying. She could listen and go, they're fine. But they're crying. They're fine. Just let them go. Let them go. They're crying. There is a difference. How many know what I'm talking about between a cry and a whine or a fake cry? My kids, some of them were good. Sam was incredible. Sam could cry crocodile tears that would fill this room and we'd be swimming. He'd come and he'd say stuff. Dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Big tears. And I'm like, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. She'd turn her head around the corner and go, he's lying. (laughs) 
But Sammy, he's always had a tender heart. He really has. And part of, the, part of what he's telling me was true. And part of what she was telling me was true. Because he didn't want to really confess the, the whole whatever. He probably smacked his brother, hit his sister. Who knows? I don't know. But, you know. What I'm telling you is this. Moms have, they know. They know. Like, they can hear something and discern that is a good cry or that is a hurt cry. I've been, when I was a kid, I remember coming home and I've been hurt. But then there was one time I, I, uh, my sister could remember this. I cracked my head open or it might have been my, I dislocated my shoulder, cracked my collarbone. And I came across the street. I can still in my mind see my dad coming out of the door like Kwai Chang Kane because of my cry was, was like, I am hurt. I was scared. I think it was with my collarbone because my sister was there and I ran up and down the slide and then I couldn't put my arms up. I felt like Ralphie and Randy from Christmas. I can't put my, he couldn't put his down. I couldn't put mine up. And I said, I can't put my arms up. And she, my sister, she said, oh, stop it. I'm like, I can't put my arms up. She's like, oh, stop it. You're making me, you know, and then, you know, and then she finally, she saw in my eyes. I'm like, I can't put my arms up. <laughs> and so she goes, oh, you can't put your arms up. And so across the street, I'm running. <laughs> You can picture that, and I'm crying now. The closer I'm getting, my cry has changed from I'm afraid to, oh, somebody help me because I'm really scared. I still can see my dad coming out of that door like, I don't know what he was going to do. And my mom's like comes out. She says, what's the matter? Oh, my God, put my arms up. They took me to the emergency room, and sure enough, I cracked my collarbone. There's a difference between your cries. You can tell, and God knows it matters what you say, what you believe, who hears you. And Mark, the Bible says, say to this mountain. It doesn't talk about God speaking to the mountain. It talks about you, you talking to your mountain. You see, that's what we spend all of our time telling God about our mountain. Why don't we spend our time telling our mountain about our God? Why don't we start saying, God, I'm going you know, to take this authority you've given me. I'm done. I'm tired of being beat up. Because there's power in prayer. There's power in, in taking my fear to God. There's power in taking my frustration to God. There's power in taking my worry to God. And we make this thing so complicated. We need to turn it into prayer. We carry so much. We put it all on ourselves. And we're not made to carry it. He didn't make you for that. We need to turn to the power of prayer, not just words, but believing prayer. Give God charge of our lives and all the things that we're going on, all the stuff that's happening. God, I need you to help me with this. And he'll meet, the Bible says he'll meet every need. I say he'll meet every need. It says he'll move every mountain. He'll heal your every disease. He'll save your children. He'll, he'll be who you need him to be because he's already that. We need to learn the power of prayer. He'll fill you with courage to face everything you have to face and overcome it with victory. I want to get back to Gideon real quick. Gideon had 33,000 men. That's a lot of dudes. That's a lot of testosterone in one camp, isn't it? That's some guys. That's <sighs> Anyway, and this is what God says. Tell all the men that really want to go home, tell them to go ahead and go. If you guys really don't want to fight in this fight, I mean, you really aren't feeling it, I'll see you. So a bunch of them leave. Now, I want, I want, there's salvation in the story, so I want to pull that out of this real quick. When we give ourselves to the Lord, when we say, God, you know what, I'm for you, and we really repent, and we give our hearts to God, you might be here this morning, you're saying, Brad, I'm telling you, you don't even know, I just talked to somebody, he goes, I've been walking the dark side. There 
is no dark path too dark for God. I don't care if you've been walking the dark side. I don't care if you know how to wield a, a, a lightsaber. It don't matter. God can help you. He can take care of you. He can get you to where you need to be. There's salvation in that. So when we repent, we don't go back. You know what repentance is? Repentance isn't turning around and going in the same direction. Repentance is turning on a 180 and saying, I'm going a different direction. I'm not going to do this anymore. Now, we don't go back. Not meaning that you never slip, not meaning that you've never failed or you don't fail again. It just means your want to has changed. This is real important for you to understand. If we're just acting, if we're just putting on, then nothing really has changed, has it? But if our want to has changed, that means some down inside, down deep inside, you're like, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't like the results of that. There's no peace in that. When you change your want to and give that to God, then there's no going back. It doesn't mean you'll never make a mistake. It doesn't mean you'll never fall. Maybe even, you know, I'm not speaking that on you. What I'm telling you is your want to's changed. You're not sorry you got caught. You're sorry you ever did Okay, it's different. It's just like now you're like, Lord, I don't ever. Because it's not the other way. Gideon was instructed to watch after that. He said, now watch how they handle the water. And then the story goes, you know, there's guys that are going to drink with their mouth. And there's guys that are going to cup their, bring the water up to their hand. And, he, and the instructions were, you know, the ones that do this, send them back. We don't need those. I mean, it doesn't mean God doesn't love me. Just say, no, we're going to separate it even more. So this is what I want you to understand. Your wants have changed. Here's the three things. Because if you want to go back to your old ways, you just disqualified your salvation. Does that make sense? See, it's really quiet. If you really didn't want to get saved and you just said it, but you, don't, you didn't care about it and you're just acting, you never really got saved. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Does that make sense? Okay, so when you have your want to change and you believed what you prayed, then that's good. But if you're like, I just, I want to go back. I don't want this. Now, I understand addiction. I understand that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a desire inside that has changed. Are we on the same page? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm getting it. Okay, <laughs> here's number two. They got to get into the water. Now, I know that it was just the way they drank, but this is what I'm talking about. Water baptism isn't part of your salvation, so you don't have to be baptized to be saved. So if, if you think that, that I don't, that's not true. But it is, I believe, in a, in a commandment. I believe it's an obedience thing. I think as long as we're on this earth and if we haven't been water baptized, it shows everybody else what our heart says. It's an outward sign of an inward change. God, I wanna, I'm, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do everything I can to follow you. It's a command I believe that God gives us and we want to be obedient. It, it is a, the very symbol of that is a separator. It is the old going away and the new coming out. So God is, he's telling Gideon something. And here's the third thing, get the fire of God. He leaves him with 300 men and these guys need a torch. So they get a torch, they get a glass pitcher. My mind is a clear glass, but you know it's not clear. It's a, it's a dark glass pitcher. They put it over the torch and they go and he divides them up in 300, 100 in each uh, out, outfit and they are outpost and they surround the camp. See, this is, the, this is what we have to understand. It's not about how close we can live to the world and still be with Jesus. We've taken this thing 
and, and we've tried to change the gospel. We've tried to tell Jesus to take up our cross and follow us. You just follow me. I'll do what I want and you follow me. And that's not how it goes. It is about us following him. So we have to understand there's got to be a heart change. And so when we understand, Lord, I just want to do everything to follow you. And we just need that fire. We need that God inside of us that says, man, something's different because that fire is going to burn that old junk out. It's the fire that's like, I don't want to be the same anymore. I see great results from this. God, you're amazing. So Gideon takes his 300 men. He divides them up. He surrounds the camp. He says, be quiet. And he says, do what I do. Don't expose the torch yet. Hide it. And then when I break the pitcher and I blow the trumpet, you guys, and we yell, you do the same. God has a plan. Turn to your neighbor and give him a high five and say, okay, bring it home. Here's number five. What's in your shout? What's in your shout? You see, there's people that do a lot of talking and don't say a whole lot. There's some people you can get around and they talk a lot. And and it's not like it's bad. It's just like you don't know what they're saying. Or it really has no matter to it. Pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little, well what's in your shout this scared the enemy so much when gideon's men did what they were told the enemy was startled they were scared because i mean they're in the middle of a uh, you know they're sleeping it's in the middle of the night and the pitchers break there's torches and people are screaming trumpets are blaring and the the enemy was scared of number one the noise and the fire i mean they, they startled they look up they see flames and fire all around them they see the enemy surrounded all around them or you know gideon's men so this is what they, they're, woo, and the Bible says this, that they ended up getting so excited, they ended up taking each other out. That's pretty impressive. I mean, I, my mind just starts going, what happened? Hey, you're stepping on my, get off my rope. Oh, sorry. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how they did, if they were just afraid, I don't know. But I will tell you this, hell is not afraid of churches and programs. Not just a program. It's not afraid about, uh, you know, just doing the mundane or just coming just to get together. I'll tell you what hell's afraid of. You getting a little piece of God. You getting the promise that God has inside you. You lighting your torch and getting ready to say, I'm about to break me a pitcher in here. I'm about to do something. I'm about to get free on something. Hell is afraid of that. When we begin to make noise, not just racket. Not just racket, but a joyful noise, praise and worship noise, prayer noise, warrior noise, God's army noise. That's when the enemy gets afraid. And you can't have that noise without fire. You get that kind of noise, you get hell's attention because you have heaven's attention. The walls of Jericho didn't fall because nothing was in their shout. They knew what to shout and they knew what was in their shout. They knew what God was going to do. The Bible says, see it. You got to see this. You got to believe that you receive when you, you got to see it in the spirit. Then it happens in the natural. Then say it. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord do what? Say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. They had fire and they had to have it covered up. And then they uncovered it at the right time. My wife loves candles. Loves them. 
She would have a candle in every window, every room. Ladies, I think other ladies that love candles. And I got to say, I do like the way they smell. We'll come in, she'll be like, how's it smelling here? Okay. Does it smell like? And she just told me that they have at some place, they have candles that smell like fresh mowed grass. Now, you know, if I was really lazy, I'd say, let's just burn a candle. Just pretend I mowed the yard. What do you say? (laughs) (laughs) Smells like it, doesn't it, honey? Okay, good. I mean, they got candles that smell everything. Snickerdoodle and, you know, all kinds of stuff. They smell great. But if you take the lid and put it on the candle, it doesn't take but just a few seconds. And that candle flame just goes out. So you got to think. I got in my mind, I got to think. Where are they holding that picture? See, there was air somehow able to get up under their arm, under their hand, and be able to still keep that lit. And what happens then, I just thought, man, how cool would that be if that ember was just barely lit, and when they broke that picture and that oxygen hit that flame? Would that be not cool? Can you not picture being surrounded by 300 screaming men? And we're not talking wusses. We're talking men. We're talking men that know how to shout. We're not talking men that go, go! No, we're talking, we're talking men, men that are like, yeah, for the Lord and for Gideon. I mean, we're talking like men, see, I'm just saying, so my mind works like that. Okay, I'm sorry, but I, that's something that we have to understand. God wants to break the pictures in you, the ones that are holding you back, the fire that's in there that wants to get out. He wants you to not be a closet Christian, not be afraid to say, you know, I love Jesus at your workplace or in your neighborhood. He wants you to know that God is saying, you have the fire. He delivers, he heals, he sets you free, he heals marriage. Did you know that God is bigger and better than any heroin addict, any drug? We at TLC, we're serious about it. It isn't our day job, it's our calling. It's our passion. Reach the lost. Find the people that need Jesus and show him him. It's the air we breathe. It's our life. Just know that there's going to be things that are going to try to smother your fire. If you've kept it covered too long, it may be almost out. But I'm telling you this morning, you can fan that flame. You can break that pitcher. You can get ready to say, God, I want that. I want to be excited again. I want to be able to say, man, there's something has changed. I'm not going back. Something has prompted my heart. I feel something different than I had before. There's pictures that he wants to break over you. Pictures of doubt need to be broken. Unbelief need to be broken. Addictions, habits, pride, past failures. Break the pictures. You need to break those over your life. You need to say, God, let me let this fire shine brightly. And people will see you and go, what is it, man? You're different. Let this season that we're getting into, this wonderful season of holidays, that people that saw you last year go, something's different about you. Let it be God. Let it be the fire of God that burns inside you. Then you say it and you shout it. And that noise and that fire, that's your key to victory. If you have that, your belief system is right. I'm almost finished. I don't want to make noise for just noise's sake. I'm talking about fire-loosing noise that will send the enemy into turmoil and will give you the victory. Say it in praise. Say it in worship. Don't just see it. Begin to say it. And when you put those two together, you get the last one. You seize it. I'm going to call the band up right now. 
I want everybody to stand on your feet. This is different than we've done in the past, and we'll do it a little different today. Is that okay?